0: Welcome to Middle Grade Mavens, where two author mums discuss their favourite middle grade books, provide recommendations and share insider industry tips for authors trying their hand at middle grade. Julianne Grasso is the author of the Frankie DuPont mystery series, Cupcake Enthusiast and Part-Time Children's Literacy Wrangler. Pamela Ukeman is a writer, web designer and creative dance teacher who sometimes finds time for sleep both Julie and Pamela devour middle grade books, not only for research, but to share with their combined brood of four munchkins. Hi, Pamela, and welcome back to Middle Grade Mavens.
1: Hi, Julie, good to be back.
0: Again. (laughs) Again. (laughs) I guess we should... um, Clarify why we're saying again, because Pamela and I have literally been trying all day to record this episode. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like a broken record. Yes,
0: but we are here, and let's dive in. What is the title of today's book?
1: <sighs> okay, for the trillion a month time um, today, I'm reviewing Juno Jones' Word Ninja by Kate Gordon illustrated by Sandy Flett and published by Yellow Brick Books Um, this year. In fact, uh, the launch day was just a couple of days ago. So happy launch day, Kate and Sandy.
0: Yes. And would you read the jacket blurb for us?
1: Sure. A disaster has happened. Muttonbird Bay School might be closing. I mean, forever. Juno Jones loves her school but the men in suits want to close it down, and there's only one thing Juno and her classmates can do to stop it. Read. Which is perfectly fine for people like Perfect Paloma, Smelly Belly, Smelly Bella, sorry, and Genius George. But Juno Jones is a kid who doesn't like reading. It might take the unthinkable to make it happen. To save her school, Juno Jones will need to become a word ninja. Oh,
0: that sounds very exciting. And I think, you know, if you put the... the, ninja in any title,
1: you're gonna, you're gonna get some happy kids. Yeah, I, you can see there's a little bit of marketing at work here because you know it's a humorous junior fiction, you know, with a female protagonist. But let's let's try and catch those boys as well. Let's put word ninja in there. It's good. It's clever, actually. I really think it's a good idea.
0: So, what genre would you class this as?
1: Uh, it's contemporary fiction slash humor, and um, and it's really on that border between junior fiction and middle grade fiction for newly independent readers and you know I've I've read a few lately but um and reviewed a few lately on the podcast partly because I really like that that genre um and you know middle grade readers do like to dip back into shorter and easier books um yeah and you know sometimes they they just that's what they're comfortable with but um yeah also it's it's that sort of area that I like which is it's sort of an up and coming little niche area of female protagonists in a humorous yeah. junior fiction. There haven't been that many before. Um, so you know, I'm I'm keeping my eye out for the ones that are that are coming up coming out there.
0: Yes, this has been a long awaited book for us, so It has. Now yeah. what would you estimate the word count as?
1: Oh it's a lovely short book, Julie. It's <laughs> under twenty thousand words. Yep. Oh
0: yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> The literary angels are singing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
0: And what drew you to this book?
1: Well, you know, as I said, this is this is the market I've been sort of keeping my eye out. I have read, I have written one junior fiction with a female protagonist that was humorous. So, um, when when one you know comes up on the market, I tend to jump on it. But this one um, by Kate Gordon, she she's it's not a debut book. She's written a few other. I think um, oh I can't remember the I think she wrote a why that came up not that long ago and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head but um, yeah, so she's she's got she's experienced as a writer but this is the first in the genie fiction so yeah, interested me.
0: Brilliant. And I think um, for our listeners um, who aren't aware that it is actually really helpful to keep an eye on what is coming out in the market and you can even use those, titles as what we call um, comparative mm. titles when you're pitching books so yeah that's why um, well Pamela and I read middle grade but also junior fiction because yeah it's so helpful when you're pitching so
1: yeah it's it's you know there's there's two sides to it there's you know oh gee they've already somebody's already done this um, should I be doing it or you know is it gonna work for me but there's also okay this is this is similar but different to mine I can you know pitch it as you know, so it's cross between Juno Jones and I don't know Thirteenth Story Treehouse or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's just to give <laughs> yep. publishers an idea of you know where it fits in the market. Um yeah. but yeah, it, it is. It's been a bit of a sort of talking point in in kids books, kids book groups for a while. Is you know where are the humorous junior fiction books for girls? And it's really nice to see that they're they're starting to come out, and they're not you know purely marketed at girls. They're not pink and sparkly and girly and trying you know. Exclusive for boys, and I know no book is ever going to be exclusive for, for boys, but I tell you what, with two boys, if they yeah. see a book with pink or sparkles on it, they will just run the other way and say, That's yeah. a girl book, and nobody has ever taught them that. So,
0: yeah, they just yeah. came to their own conclusion, unfortunately.
1: unfortunately so, yeah.
0: tell us about it.
1: <clears throat> yeah, so the character Juno Jones, um, she hates books, which is unfortunate being that she's a character in a book. <laughs> yeah. she loves climbing and making jokes and drawing and ninjas but men in suits want to close her school down so she might have to go to the posh school or the poo school that is the school near the sewage treatment plant unfortunately and she doesn't want that so her teacher has decided that the way to stop the school closing is to improve everyone's reading so they need to read a lot and that doesn't work for Juno because as I said she hates books so the teacher agrees that she can write a book instead And it goes along quite nicely until one of the suit men, possibly an alien disguised as a man, according to Juno, happens to visit the school at the moment that Smelly Bella discovers that someone has ruined her journal. Smelly Bella wrongly accuses Shy Vi and a fight breaks out. So Miss Tippett, the teacher, redoubles her efforts and sets more reading. And Juno discovers that her book, the book that she is reading, with a line and a wardrobe and lots of snow, hint, hint, isn't Mm -hmm. too bad (laughs) and it's actually pretty good. And the book after that is even better. So, you know, we joined Juno on a journey. We joined Juno Jones on a journey of discovery, um, you know, learning about books and, and that she might actually like them.
0: Fantastic, which is so true for so many kids, that there are lots of kids that hate books. Which you know sends a shudder down my spine, but it's
1: it's mm. true. It's yeah. Well, I can't remember who the quote is by now, but it's you know um, nobody hates books. so You just haven't found the one, the right one yet. Yes, so You know, I do believe that. Um, yeah, it's just we just need to keep trying, trying to find that one book that sparks, yes. that passion, sparks them off and gets them going. Yeah. So,
0: what was your overall enjoyment?
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed it. This book has broad appeal, you know, and. You think, wow! Finally, a book for reluctant readers with a girl protagonist, and it's not gen- necessarily for reluctant readers, but it is, you know, junior fiction um, humor, which <clears throat> that still seems to be the appeal is to reluctant readers. But you know, again, it's also a girl protagonist who is the girl. The girl herself isn't girly. The book isn't girly. It's not pink. It's not sparkly. It, it doesn't completely deter boys, and you know, it, it's encouraging reading through the storyline as well, which I thought was really great. Um, and, the, uh, you know, and it was funny and the hilarious illustrations by Sandy Flett um, really complement the character of Juno and, and the quirky humour that Kate's got in there. Yeah, it was really good.
0: Yes, and um, Sandy's a mutual friend of, a friend of mine and this is her debut book, so it's extremely exciting and mm. congratulations, Sandy.
1: Yeah, well done.
0: So who will love this book? What age would you recommend this for?
1: Uh, look, it's it's a good one for newly um, independent readers. So I'd say sort of readers six to to ten or six to nine. Yeah. yeah, brilliant.
0: And do you think reluctant readers would enjoy this book, or is it for confident readers?
1: Yeah, I think it's a perfect one for reluctant readers. And and you know, with the storyline hinting at a couple of books at the end, you know, it's it's a jumping off point. I mean, they're not going to be going from reading this to reading the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, obviously. No. But you know, it might be um, something that they want to explore, have someone read to them, or it might just be, yeah, let's find another book that, that I don't really want to read. So, yeah, definitely good one for reluctant readers.
0: Fantastic. And that is Pamela's 17th review. Yeah. I think I got, think very- I got, I got <laughs> the number wrong the last episode so yeah I think I jumped back to 15 or something so. oh dear. <laughs>
1: yeah. it's been a comedy of errors and if anyone who's listening hasn't worked it out yet I don't quite have a full voice at the moment because I'm just getting over the flu and so are my children yeah. and Julie has kids too so this is what it takes yeah. to get a podcast going we're still here we're doing yeah. the work
0: the mavens press on
1: that's right. <laughs> yeah. So. Julie, your book for today this is quite exciting.
0: Yes, I'm excited but also depressed. I'll <laughs> tell you the book. <laughs> so um, I'm reviewing Judy Moody and the Right Royal Tea Party by mm-hmm. Megan McDonald, illustrated by Peter H. Reynolds.
1: Mm. And so you want to tell us about Megan, Megan McDonald?
0: Uh, so I was meant to be re- um, interviewing Megan today, but because of the sick children and the chaos outside, there was a um, truck (laughs) digging up our entire yard. Um, I just had to cancel, so Mm. I am utterly disappointed because I know Megan is just a wonderful um, uh, writer and person to speak to. But anyway, Mm. um, we on and
1: well, will. she is uh she was attending the sydney writers festival is that right yes and yes, uh i think right. i think a few people are interviewing her so yeah <laughs> even though we missed the boat i'm sure yeah. you'll. yeah yeah keep her out and i'm sure there'll be some interviews with megan yes. mcdonald if you're a fan she's been around for a while and her books have um, been very popular so yes so, so. can you tell <laughs> us <about your> book? <laughs> the book the jacket first yes
0: so when Judy traces her moody ancestors all the way back to old England, she discovers that she, Judy Moody, might be related to royal fanfare, please, the Queen herself. But when the family tree gets a few more shakes, Judy discovers some right royal family secrets that she'd prefer to keep hidden.
1: Mm-hmm. That sounds like something I would have loved as a kid.
0: Yes, mm-hmm.
1: yes. Um... So uh, it sounds like it's contemporary fiction, is that right?
0: It's contemporary fiction at its finest.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And how does it go on the word count scale?
0: Uh, It's very, um, very well received on the Julie word count (laughs) scale. I would say this is about 14,000K, which places it, I guess, in that upper level of junior fiction. Um, and as we've just reviewed Juno Jones, um, which is, I believe, a quite similar word count and tone, this seemed like a great partner for this episode.
1: Yeah, it's almost a um, <clears throat> middle. Uh, what is it, Junior Fiction Mavens? Yeah. Episode today. But that's okay <laughs> because we have more to come. <laughs>
0: that's right.
1: Uh, so what drew you to this book? Obviously, Judy Moody, the books have been around for quite a while and uh, I, I see them in the library where I volunteer at my kids' school. Um, yeah. And they just they stand out and, yeah. And to be
0: honest, we only really um, sort of discovered Judy Moody uh, about a year ago um, when Giselle got the first book for her birthday um, and it was just hilarious. And then I heard on the grapevine from Walker Books at Megan, Macdonald would actually be in the Sydney Writers' Festival, um, and they did offer us an interview, um, which we unfortunately had to cancel, but we decided why not review her latest book to coincide? Why not? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So can you tell us more about this particular one?
0: Yeah, so Judy's class have been plotting out family trees. Judy discovers she might well be related to the Queen herself. So what follows are hilarious shenanigans in all things royal, including writing a letter to the Queen to inform her of their mutual blood ties, which had me laughing out loud. There's also a visit to a castle where we learn a rather naughty version of the word poo. Back it up, folks. Not that naughty, but I will keep you guessing you will just have to read page 85 and there's also a royalty party which let's face it was going to be one rip snorting good time if judy moody is in charge all is not well in the royal realm when judy finds out her arch nemesis might actually be related
1: there's a lot going on there sounds great
0: yeah yeah this was just hilarious Um, Judy Moody is such a fun character and I I guess Megan Macdonald has probably you know I think they've been out for 20 years she spent such a long time refining this character Um, and I was so keen to ask her whether or not it's changed over the years but I'm Mm. going to assume it has Um, but anyway the royal shenanigans were worthy of a queen and the language used in this book is just priceless including that certain naughty word, which um, obviously Giselle just found hilarious and, yeah. But Judy seems to use her own version of slang as well, which m- makes this so rich and entertaining. And I truly thought this was a hoot.
1: Mm, it's interesting to consider, isn't it, if you're working on, a you know, a series for that long, over 20 years, just yeah, how much it changes and how much easier it is to slip in and out or... Yeah. Or how hard, how much harder it is to write for today's children. Yeah. yeah.
0: I I was really keen to also ask her whether or not she felt a bit stifled. Yeah. Um, because I mean she's written lots of other books, but um yeah, I know that when we um have listened to Jen Stora and her take on series, it, it can be a wonderful thing but it can also be a little bit limiting. So mm-hmm. Creativity. Yeah, I, I think mm. I, I've heard. Dive in, you know, with a, uh, you know, with your toe in the water first before mm. you launch into series. So anyway, I, mm. I, I wish I could have asked Megan, but anyway, I'm assuming. Oh,
1: well, yeah. <laughs> Maybe another day. Maybe, yes. we could, um, <laughs> maybe we could email questions. Yeah, we'll send <laughs> So, um, so this is obviously another junior fiction. It's it's the age similar age yes. to okay. Juno Jones.
0: Yeah, I think seven to nine. Um, I'm not sure actually if they pitch it as lower middle grade or chapter book. Um, but either way, it's definitely a great stepping stone towards, you know, true middle grade.
1: Mm, yeah. I think I think they um, tend to um, sort of categorise them a little bit differently in the US as well. Yeah, definitely. Middle grade is not the same as middle grade here because they have middle grade school. So. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So um, a good one for reluctant readers?
0: Yeah, this would be – it would be for both, I think. Confident readers would just, you know, breeze through it. Reluctant readers would be engaged. But this is particularly a really good read aloud.
1: Sounds great. Well, that
0: is actually it for Middle Grade Maven's reviews. But Mm -hmm. don't adjust your dials yet. Coming up. Um, in this episode, we have Pamela interviewing Andrew McDonald of Real Pigeons fame. Ooh.
1: Yes, this was a really fun interview <laughs> to do, actually. And thankfully, I did. I actually did this the day that I was coming down with the flu, so hopefully I don't sound too <laughs> off towards the end of it. Uh, I think I was fading a little bit there, but um, yeah, it was really fun, and we've since um, got Real Pigeons 3, and I think we've had it about three or four days, and Mr Six-Year-Old has read it Three or four times since we've bought it, and absolutely loves it. And unfortunately, we also missed out on uh, something. We were going to the launch um, to meet Andrew, but um, yeah, unfortunately, we were sick. So enjoy the interview, folks. Yes. We'll see you next time. Stay tuned. Well, listeners, Pamela here, and today I'm interviewing Andrew Macdonald, author of the Real Pigeons Junior Fiction Series the first of which I did a mini review for back in episode eight. Book three in the Real Pigeon series, Real Pigeons Nest Hard, has just come out and we're very excited to get ours. So I thought it would be great to chat to Andrew as not only is he the author of these very funny books, but he has also previously written two middle grade novels, The Greatest Blogger in the World and Son of Death, which was named Best Book of 2015 by The Age. So without further ado, please welcome to Middle Grade Mavens, Andrew MacDonald. Thanks for joining us, Andrew.
2: Uh, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: No problem. First of all, congratulations on the launch of the third Real Pigeons book and also the recent birth of your son.
2: Yes, thank you. It's been a very busy year so far. And um, yeah, my my days are just pigeons and babies right now. It's a, it's
1: a fun <laughs> <explanation>. <laughs> Oh, I can imagine. It'd be nice to escape from one to the other.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you've got uh, Real Pigeons... Um, number four splashback coming out in September as well. So I guess you've got some pre-release stuff going on for that as well.
2: Yeah. It's an an interesting process working on the Real Pigeons books because I'll um, I'll work on the manuscripts for a a while and then they'll get handed over to Ben Wood, our amazing illustrator, and, he'll work on them for a few months. So I'm actually about to start writing book five, um, but at the same time reviewing and working with Ben on, on uh, the illustrations and the look and design of uh, book four. So it's, uh, it doesn't stop in Pigeon Land at the moment.
1: Wow, it's all go, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, Andrew, you've previously published two middle-grade novels. Um, so tell me, what do you like about writing for this age group, for that age group?
2: I... I, I guess it kind of comes back to my memories and experiences of being that age. I can um, I can recall being kind of like eight, nine, ten really vividly, kind of remember um, what was happening in my life and how I was feeling about things, what it was like being in the library and reading books and, um, you know, the, the kind of social dynamics out on the school oval as well. Uh, and I think that's the thing that you, um, you hear from writers from time to time, especially when they're writing for um, readers who are younger than them, is that they, uh, they draw on their experiences. And you might have heard of YA writers uh, who say that they write, uh, they write YA because they have a really vivid memory of their teenage years. Uh, mm. I don't have that uh, memory of my teenage years, but I'm, I feel like I'm still really, uh, really in touch with um, the experience of kind of being between a, a teen and being uh, a younger kid as well. Um, and I was a big reader at that time in my life and um, children's novels are that they can do anything you know if you write a science fiction children's novel it's not called science fiction it's just a children's book Um, whereas if it was an adult book it might be marketed and talked about as a science fiction book so I feel like there are the boundaries are further away when you're writing for that age group. And that's something that I I, I really enjoyed when I was young and reading lots of books. And it's, a, you know, a really enjoyable way to approach writing now that I'm an adult writing for that readership.
1: Mm, I, I guess it's probably easier to get into the head of um, a child that age rather than younger, because it, you, know, you can still identify with that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like kids, kids, you know, who are eight, nine, 10, they're, you know, they're, they're really smart. They kind of like understand the world of, They've kind of developed um, a long way, uh, and they can they can analyze things. They you know they get sarcasm and irony, mm. all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot you can draw on um, without having to kind of you know deal with um, some of the uh, other things that come along later in life.
1: Yeah, it's fun. It's a fun age. Um, yeah. And so, where did the idea for a junior fiction series about? pigeons come from because frankly if I told my six-year-old I was buying him a book about pigeons he'd run a mile. (laughs) He loves your books and loves to try and identify pigeons he sees when he's out so how did that come up?
2: Uh, I always think that you need two really good ideas to come together for a a book to really work Uh, and for a long time I'd been looking at pigeons out and about in the world thinking oh wouldn't it be great if we could up with a story about crime-fighting pigeons because they're everywhere, they see everything, they're kind of like the perfect surveillance outfit when you think about it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'd had that idea for a couple of years and uh, then I was in a museum uh, and I saw a display of some of the uh, pigeons that Charles Darwin Uh, had kept and um, done some studies with uh, during his time, before he wrote Origin of the Species, uh, of all things. Uh, And these pigeons uh, just had all the names of the pigeons in the pigeons' books underneath them. So he had Rock Pigeon, he was kind of like at the center of the display. And then springing out from the rock pigeon uh, was the frillback pigeon, and there was a barb pigeon, and there was a tumbler pigeon, uh, and a, a powder pigeon. Um, and I thought, wow, what amazing names. Like, these characters just kind of, they were kind of ready to go uh and i in a way i kind of just picked them out of that museum display and and started writing about them as crime-fighting pigeons and their personalities kind of came kind of like half-formed already with that with their names and the way that they look googling pigeons is a very fun activity seeing (laughs) seeing what a powder pigeon looks like they have a big big chest that kind of like sticks out over there over the rest of their body and it's kind of like a, a way for them to digest food they'll like uh, they'll eat food and then keep it in this big chest thing which is called a crop um and then kind of a swallow it kind of like you know hours days later on um so it's an important part of the pigeons that pigeons physiology uh so you know i've obviously gone down a bit of a rabbit hole when it comes to pigeon i have a lot of pigeon facts at hand um and the, yeah the enthusiasm kind of built from there and uh i, I wrote the the manuscript uh, and we're lucky enough to get paired up with Ben Wood, who um, has done all the illustrations and is, you know, uh, you know, it's kind of a, an equal um, uh, pursuit now, Ben and I working on these pigeon stories.
1: Fantastic. I love that story. Uh, you know, we we recently um, actually bought a book about the origin of the species, just a, a sort of a, uh, almost like a picture book, but a nonfiction Um, and my son was going through looking at all the pigeons in there they're actually in there and saying oh I know this one and I know that one. (laughs) That's
2: awesome.
1: (laughs) It's very funny Uh, and um, the pigeon characters they they really sort of seem to have their own characteristics that are you know really true to the the real thing I mean I don't know much about pigeons but in the book you can sort of see that they that uh, um, their personalities you know relate to their actual breeds of pigeons so you know, obviously you did a lot of research on that. And did you do most of the research up front or was that sort of, you know, you did a bit, you got inspired and then you wrote some more and then you um, did some more research because you needed to. How did that work?
2: Yeah, it's kind of been a, a rolling research project, if you like. Uh, initial research around the uh, the main pigeons who are in the squad, so rock, rock pigeon and frillback pigeon. Um, frillback pigeons are amazing because their feathers kind of look like um, like curled up uh, they, they basically look like a wedding cake, basically, a yeah. pigeon. Um, they're quite beautiful. And tumbler pigeons as well and powder pigeons. Grand Powder is our patriarch. Uh, so I did a lot of research on those. Um, and then uh, as the stories evolve, we have different villains, different red herring characters, yeah. uh, and different pigeons as well. We were introdu- introducing um, our first evil pigeon in book number three, Real Pigeons Nest Hard, which was really fun. So, again, I went back and did the research uh, on the, um, it's a, a uh, Jacobin pigeon, um, which is well worth a little Google. The Jacobin pigeon has a big kind of like feathery cape that comes up behind its head. Um, and yeah. it kind of looks like the Cruella de Vil of pigeons, uh, <laughs> which is hilarious. Um, and, and other characters as well. So we have uh, a big uh, vulture character who's uh, maybe a villain, maybe a good guy. Uh, he's uh, featured on the, the cover of Real Pigeon's Nest Hard. Uh, and here's another example of how we need to do our research to make sure that we're rooting these characters in their kind of real-life counterparts enough. Uh, and the, the, the Beardy Dragon, uh, sorry, the Beardy uh, Vulture Um, is based on a bearded vulture and we chose a bearded vulture because they well firstly they look great um, which is always important for the illustrations the bearded vulture has a yellow eye and like a bit of a red ring around the edge uh, around the pupil Uh, but most importantly they eat bones we thought that a vulture was you know constantly you know eating flesh was maybe a bit full-on for the series but a vulture that eats bones well you know is that as bad as a dog eating bones maybe not um (laughs) And that's something that we um, point out because the pigeons have a whole lot of prejudice around vultures as well. And we kind of um, break those down and look at that a little bit in in the the first story in Real Pigeons Nest Hard.
1: Fantastic. I love the way you You go right into that. It's great. And um, as you mentioned, Ben Wood um, is the illustrator. He illustrated brilliantly. um, And he's also the illustrator of the Squishy Taylor series and a range of picture books. Um, how much of it? I mean, you did mention that you do the writing and then you hand it over. Did Ben have much input into um, the pigeons or the story, or was it more you did the text and then he just did the illustrations?
2: Yeah, it started off like that. Uh, we had a—I had a manuscript, and I, for every pigeon book, I'm working on a manuscript, doing a, a few different drafts, as is pretty normal for a manuscript, uh, before I hand it off to my publishers, who then kind of get Ben involved. Uh, and but now that we've been working for a few books together, we have a really fluid back and forth relationship. So, well, we'll text a lot. We'll, if we see a great photo of a, of a bearded vulture, we'll uh, we'll send it back and forth. Uh, And there's a lot more collaboration. Uh, And I I think that it's kind of, I I feel mostly just lucky um, that we kind of found each other, that Hardy, Grant, Egmont, our publishers put us together because we have a very similar sense of humour, Ben and I, which I I think you can kind of see immediately when you read the pigeons books. Yeah. Um, And Ben likes to say that when he read that first um, manuscript, the the manuscript for book one, uh, Real Pigeons Fight Crime, he said, this is is the inside of my brain. This is what the inside (laughs) of my mind looks like. Uh, I love that quote. Um, fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So we have an, uh, equal enthusiasm for both pigeons and food, food being an important element in the series, of course. Lots mm-hmm. of <laughs> Yeah, that's
1: right. Um, and did you plan the whole series from the start? Um, did you plot it all before you started writing or is it back to the drawing board for each book?
2: Uh, we, have an, we have an arc that we're working to for the whole series uh and where you kind of you kind of see that starting to like really like gather steam towards the end of book number three so um book number one was really about establishing the squad and getting our um characters out there and working together uh in book two real pigeons eat danger uh the story is really about the pigeons kind of like kind of working out what kind of friends they're going to be what does that friendship group look like we introduce um a new element we have um a twig called Trent whose rocks kind of like possession that he finds and kind of instantly falls in love with. Um, Trent the twig is a little bit like uh, the blankie, rocks blankie really. So the universe is constantly expanding uh, and in Real Pigeons Nest Hard, uh, as the title um, hints at, nests are a big feature. And so Rock is kind of hell bent on creating a really good nest for the real pigeons, which, of course, is not going to be a a normal nest that just sits in a tree because these are crime fighting pigeons. So it has to be something a little bit extra special and the reveal of what the real pigeon's nest is. Uh, is one of my favourite parts of the story, and beyond there, the story is going to get grow and uh, is going to keep growing and getting bigger. Uh, we've got like a kind of big cast of characters now behind us. We've been going through lots of villains and friends and um, collaborators for the pigeons to work with. So it's uh, it's really exciting watching the series and the the pigeon universe grow.
1: Mm, I can't wait! Can't wait for the next books. In my son can't either, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so you you spoke about being a collaboration between you and Ben. Um, how much editing is involved once the text and the illustrations are put together? Because I can imagine that it's quite problematic to make changes once the illustrations have been done. So how much does end up on the cutting room floor once you've sort of, you know, got it all together?
2: Yeah, lots, lots. We um, we've been told that our working relationship is a little bit strange because we are. Um, so fluid and changing text at the last minute and um, doing lots of different revisions to the illustration. So there's a lot of work that goes into each pigeon book. Uh, the way that it works with the editing is, uh, as I mentioned, I'll do that initial um, kind of fairly standard uh, editing, um, structural editing and then copy editing with the Heidi Egmont team. Uh, and then at that point, uh, Ben and I will get together in a room uh, with a whiteboard and the manuscript, and we'll have um, Penelope White and Marisa Pintado, who both work at Hardy Grant Egmont, uh, in the room with us, uh, and the four of us will kind of go through the story and we'll map out what it's going to look like, we'll change the text as we're going, and we're kind of from that point, um, the, the final stage, the illustrative stage of the um, process, kind of like kicks off, uh, and it's a and and the other person in, involved in that is the designer Christy Lund White. Um, she's not in that room, uh, that important workshop um, when when it happens. But um, her design, she does the design of the covers, and she does the design on the pages throughout the book as well. And and her work has been um, a really big part of the, the the books looking so good and so and so accessible. I think to young readers. Mm. Um, so so that relationship is kind of like four people in a room really like bringing these these stories and the illustrations and every component together and and ben and i are pretty open and upfront about well that illustration doesn't quite work let's let's have another go at it uh and you know if ben sees something in the text that he's um you know not happy with or things can be done things can be done a better way he'll he'll say something uh and um, it yeah, it's, we have a good relationship. We're kind of lucky that the um, the four of us all get along and um, we've got a, a good dynamic going to produce these stories. And I always say that um, if someone comes up with a better joke in that room, then I'm not going to be precious about what I've initially written. Let's put the best joke that we can possibly find into that book.
1: Mm-hmm. You can see it's a fantastic collaboration. I mean, the the, the interplay between the text and the illustrations is, is amazing. There's, the the humour you know, that you can read between the lines. I just love it. It's, um, you know, there's a few books out there that are like that and there seem to be more coming, you know, coming out like that these days. Um, and there's some really great partnerships. Um, and one of the reasons I'm particularly enthusiastic about books like Real Pigeons is that they're a great bridge between the younger junior fiction books and proper middle-grade novels and they're, they're more complex in character and plot than the early junior fiction but still being, you know, fairly light in tone and rich in illustration. I think it's almost an art form, the, the combination of, you know, clever, rich illustrations and involved plot, similar but different to picture books. And I think you and Ben have, have hit the nail on the head. And another one who does it really well, we're big fans of, is um, Aaron Blaby. And of course, you know, there are more out there. Do you think this is a growing market or is it limited by the complexity and expense of making books like this?
2: It's certainly an intense um, production period, but I think that it's I think that it's worth it. We've we're really proud of the pigeon books as they stand, and it's, it's really great to hear that we, um, people think that the the interplay between the words and the illustrations is really coming off. Uh, and I, I think it comes down to like kind of like the the value of you know almost each page in a real pigeon's book. Like what's what's a kid and what's a parent going to get out of reading that page? And they're probably going to get different things out of it. Um, one of the bits of feedback that we've had is the kids are, are rereading these these stories quite a lot they'll often you know read with mum and dad or you know grandparent or teacher and then uh go off and and look at it themselves and kind of you know go back and you know take a second look and a third look at the, the illustrations by themselves if they're not quite up to reading the text or uh, if they are a bit older they'll they'll read it you know all the way through again and that was one of the things that we talked about when we were Thinking about the series um, at the outset was how can we make sure that these uh, these books are the kinds of books that kind of like give kids lots of. Lots of value and parents value for money as well, because, you know, the worst thing is buying a book at the bookshop and then you get home and um, your kid has already read it and doesn't touch it again. Um, that's that feels like a, a, a little bit of a sad, um, a sad outcome. So we, we really wanted to make the Real Pigeons books um, vibrant and full of information and have lots of interesting asides and Ben writes lots of little asides and tee-hees and koo hoos into the illustrations, (laughs) Um, and uh, we have a lot of fun doing that, but, you know, the main driver is just to make sure that it's a really complex um, world without being overwhelming.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's certainly my experience of it. You know, I read it with my younger son, and then he's reread it probably, well, both the books he's got, he's probably reread them about 15 times. And then my <laughs> older son kind of goes, Oh, what's that? You know, that looks interesting. And then ends up rereading them as well. So, yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head with that.
2: It reminds me of when I watched, um, when I was younger, a, a young boy, I watched Aladdin, the movie, for the first time, and I remember older people around me at the time saying, oh, it's too fast, there's too much happening, I can't keep up. But as a kid, you're watching that film, you know, 50 times, and you're kind of just loving that it's so kind of densely packed with jokes and, you know, visual and um, audio um, audio jokes all, all over the place. Um, you know, we just I just loved that at the time, and, um, you know, if we've done a similar thing with Real Pigeons, I'd be really happy.
1: Yeah, so so multi-layered. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Sure. So what's next for Andrew MacDonald? You've got book four coming out and more real pigeons after that. Are you going to be working on any other middle-grade books or is that enough for now?
2: Oh, I, I, it's It's been awesome. I wrote a couple of um, middle-grade novels which were more squarely aimed at kind of readers, kind of like, uh, like eight, nine, ten, uh, before writing the real pigeon series. Uh, and I'm definitely itching to get back there and write something that's a little bit longer, a little more emotionally complex, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, for the time being, uh, it's all pigeons where um, we're working on, on the next few books. We've got a, a, you know, a big pigeon story that we need to tell um, with the, you know, the remaining books in the series. Um, and they, they get they're coming out in the US next year as well. So we're uh, we're looking forward to that. I think they're publishing the first um, the first few books um, in twenty twenty. Uh, so um, it's going to be all about pigeons for a little while yet. Um, but at the same time, I you know I am a, a writer and I do um, uh, think about other projects and um, can't wait to you know the only the only limitation really is time at this stage. <laughs>
1: mm, I can imagine. <laughs> Um, so now to our two final questions. Uh, the first one is: What is one middle grade book every child should have the opportunity of reading?
0: Yeah,
2: I I love middle grade fiction, and this was a, a hard question to come up with a good answer for. I was uh, I've read a few lately that I really enjoyed. I, I read Pax and really enjoyed that. I enjoyed Greenhouse, uh, sorry, Green Glass House, which was a kind of like a mystery novel, which was really great. Um, uh, the Peacock Detectives, which I think is just won the Readings Children's Prize, was a really great, like, mm-hmm. recent novel, but in the end I went with something a little more classic, um, I went with uh, Rebecca Stead's When You Reach Me, uh, because I think that it was, it's such a, like, a beautifully told, well-contained, multi-layered story, and, uh, which um and, and I, looking back on that book it came out almost 10 years ago i'd say by now and i think it was really influential i think that we've seen a lot of um middle grade novels come out featuring mysteries since then um it kind of put the spotlight back on a wrinkle in time which is heavily um featured in in rebecca said's book uh and and time travel as well time travel is you know kind of been more prominent in books since then um and it, yeah, I just I just loved when you reached me. I thought it was like the perfect middle grade novel, uh, and it would enrich anyone's life who read it. I think
1: it sounds, definitely sounds like one for uh, Julie. She quite likes mysteries. I haven't I haven't read that one. I haven't heard of it, so I'll have to have a look into it.
2: Yeah, it's set in, it's set in uh, New York in the seventies, and a girl starts getting notes um, sent to her from the future, uh, and um, it has a really great um, emotional arc with um, her and her her mother as well. Uh, and the strange man outside who keeps kind of babbling kind of what seems to be nonsense at first, but turns out to be something a lot more meaningful. It's, it's wonderful.
1: <laughs> Sounds great. Uh, and where can we find you online if our in- listeners are interested in checking out your books?
2: Uh, you can find my website, mrandrewmcdonald.com on the interwebs. Uh, and I'm also on all the social medias. Uh, I think my Instagram handle is mrandrewmcdonald. Uh, But, yeah, sure, Google will do it as well, I'm sure.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for the chat, Andrew, and we look forward to reading Real Pigeons Nest Hard tomorrow. I hope we get it tomorrow. And Real Pigeons Splashback in September.
2: Thanks very much for having me. It's been wonderful.
0: We've managed to bring you some wonderful new books on middle grade mavens. That doesn't mean we don't love the old ones too. It's just, well, shiny and new are just so shiny and new. Never fear, we'll occasionally drop in some classic reads, but right now it's full steam ahead with new books. Stay tuned as Pamela reviews The Apostrophe Posse by Tina Raffa Mulligan and Julie reviews The Boy Who Flew by Fleur Hitchcock. If you'd like to know more about The Mavens, log on to middlegradepodcast.com or to find Julie online, drop by julieanngrassobooks.com and to find Pamela, stop by www.ueckerman.net.